You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 301, dated Friday, March 24th, 2023. Very pleased, as always, to have Peter Alchel, my good friend and colleague, with us today. Peter, what's going on? How are you? Before we continue, let me thank those people who make it possible to air In Perspective and to make it available to the general public. We have Raymond Gay, of course, our producer and our host. He edits our programs. Thank you for doing that, Raymond. I also want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. They post in perspective podcasts on Greeting Door 15 on that chat line. Thank you for doing that. I also want to thank our media sources for airing our program when they do. We appreciate that very much. And last but not least, I want to thank Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, who archives In Perspective, on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just go there, arrow down until you get to Branco to In Perspective podcasts. Click on those, and you will see our archived programs from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie, and welcome to a typical Columbia, Missouri spring day, 40, de- 40 degrees and raining. Huh. I think spring is a little reluctant to get to you, Peter. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, but. I, th- I think you're probably right. <laughs> and and, and th- thanks to Zoom for being its usual ornery self and kicking me off for no reason at all. I'm sure it's it's pleasure to be that way. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay, let me say a couple of shout-outs. I want to talk with uh, and say hi to two faithful listeners, Rick Troiano, uh, Lillian Johnson, and Brian Capola, thank you very much for supporting our program and for commenting on our shows. We appreciate that very much. This afternoon, we're very pleased to have with us Cynthia Stead from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Cynthia works for Catholic Social Services, but she also works as a housing navigator. And she's going to talk a little further about what that means. Cynthia? Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, As Bob said, I'm Cynthia Stead. My job here at Catholic Social Services is to help people who have lost their housing or are in danger of losing their housing to find other housing, to apply for housing, and all of the ins and outs, which is why I'm called the housing navigator, although there are days I feel more like a housing psychiatrist. As you all know, it's a very, very bad squeeze. People are being evicted. Their houses are being sold out from under them. And it's, it's really a difficult thing to try to help them. But that is my official job at uh, CSS. In addition, I work a good deal with the disability community. I am a trustee of the Perkins School for the Blind. And I'm on my own town's disability committee. The reason that I contacted Bob and wanted to give all of you an idea, and that is so many of my clients are blind, but not quite blind enough to receive services. They may be deaf, but they're not legally deaf and so on. There are a lot of restrictions in government-built public housing, and 
it it dawned on me that there's no reason why that should be. Uh, if it was 1993, it wouldn't have been right to have four units set aside for people of color years after the Civil Rights Act. Well, the ADA is now 30 years old, but there's in public housing, there's a set aside for the legally deaf. And I'm a housing elected housing commissioner in my town. And when we did our annual plan for 23-24, I amended it to say that whenever possible, we should begin to customize and retrofit our units as part of ordinary maintenance. The, the easiest example is that a legally deaf unit has a fire alarm that doesn't make noise. It also flashes a strobe light if the person can't hear. Well, there, there are fire alarms which are also carbon monoxide detectors that have sound and light. As we replace as part of our normal plan, why don't we put an all ability unit in every unit so that you don't have to wait for somebody to move out of the deaf unit if you're at the head of the deaf list? I understand that sounds very Kafkaesque, but these kinds of set asides are very common in public housing. Sounds logical. Well, it, you're right. It's not, but it is what it is, too. And Habitat for Humanity is doing a building in our town. So in addition to asking the housing authority to make all ability part of their uh, ordinary update, yes. Habitat is going to do an all ability build as well. It, it is the simple cost of building and remodeling as you're doing it anyway, rather than trying to retrofit. It, it doesn't seem, it seems very logical, but it simply isn't how human services work, especially in conjunction with government funding. Uh, I, I talk a lot about the 82 percenters, the people who are not at or below 80% of the area median income. They're only 59 instead of 60 and so on. Uh, charity used to be able to be a little bit more common sense, but as it accepts more and more government funding, you have to adhere to the HUD guidelines and to the DHCD-like guidelines. The reason I can talk to anybody is the United Way of Cape Cod pays my salary via Catholic Social Services. So I don't have to ask somebody if they're properly qualified before I can help them. And that's unusual in this day and age and with so a lot of social service agencies. I want people to think about this. My own housing authority, where I'm an elected member, we just did our annual plan. Every housing authority in the state is doing the same thing. What if we all contacted all of the housing authorities and asked them to consider doing universal access maintenance to bring that forward? How many times have you been in a, a ladies' room or in a public place, even in a doctor's office, and you will have a white toilet with white tile behind it. And there will be a silver cord off to one side that you're supposed to be able to pull if there's an emergency. How can you even see it, even if you're perfectly fine? It blends in too much. Just by changing it out to a black or bronze cord, you've solved, solved the problem. And I know I get especially upset when I see this in an ophthalmologist's office. They should know better. There are so many easy fixes uh, in uh, housing. I did convince them to do this over at Thurwood. They put a tuxedo stripe, a dark stripe around the edge of the doorway 
which was beige. When they redid the uh, switch plates, they got a bronze switch plate instead of having a white switch plate with a white switch on a cream colored wall so that nobody could see it. And simple fixes like that or simple changes like that don't actually cost any money. All it costs is the time that you have to think about it in order to do it routinely. Uh, Thurwood built several uh, low vision units. And one thing they did that I had never thought of was in the low vision units, they put uh, convection cooktops because it's a lot harder to burn yourself and they supply the copper bottom pans that work. We put in, uh, there are machines that will allow you to read a newspaper or a book on your lap with a special mouse that broadcasts to your flat screen TV. So you could read a book or a newspaper magnified hundreds of times just by having the special mouse hooked up to the television set. You can sit in your recliner and read a book. Uh, all of these different kinds of things for people with low vision and blindness, they're out there. They're, but unfortunately, until you get to the point where you're legally blind, there's no suit for you. And as you're gradually losing your sight to glaucoma, to AMD, to all, to cataracts, to all the different things that people who are older have to struggle with, you don't even know it's there. I, I was for seven years the executive director of an organization down here on Cape called Sight Loss Services. Uh, it was founded by a lady who had a disease where she knew that she was going to eventually become totally blind. And her name was June Wenberg. And June went to the commission and asked to learn Braille. And they said, we can't work with you until you're actually blind. And she thought that was the stupidest thing she'd ever heard. So she began the organization at her kitchen table with $400 and a couple of other glaucoma sufferers. And they hired somebody to come in and teach. The organization was one of the original thousand points of light, and it's still in operation here in Dennis. We target people who don't qualify for other things. These are incurable diseases. If You may be able to forestall it with medication, perhaps with surgery, but eventually you will lose your sight. You will become legally blind. The people I feel the most badly for are those who didn't have eye disease but had a cortical visual impairment, something like a stroke that took away their sight. They went from being sighted to being blind in a day with no chance to adjust and no education at all. We run support groups for people with all levels of blindness. I mean, I'm not the ED anymore. I'm working here at at, uh, CSS, but the organization continues, obviously. Uh, June was the first director. I was the second. And another lady is the director now. It is proceeding well. One thing we have there that I'd also like to see other places is a laboratory of equipment. We have both a Verilux light and an Ot light, and you could sit under it almost like a Harry Potter sorting hat. Which type of light was better for you? Uh, we would get prescriptions for people for uh, hand magnifiers rather than just trying to stand there. Ask your doctor, what would be the best magnification for you? These are all things that people, once they are declared blind, it becomes routine for them. But in the meantime, it's very, very hard for people. This is all new to them. They don't know where they can go. And there's not a heck of a lot of help out there. 
So Cynthia, I am, um, I just moved into a, a housing unit, uh, for, for people with disabilities and, and senior citizens with, with less income. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, that, that strikes me about you've just said, uh, is sort of two things. One is the concept of universal, uh, what universal design, wherever you call it. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a story that I learned uh, that I happened, that happened to me when back, back in the eighties, I got one of these talking time, talking things that you hit a button and told you what time it was. Mm-hmm. And it was made for blind people. It was put out by the American Foundation for the Blind back then. And um, I, th- I thought it was cool. My mom got one for herself. She thought it was cool. And what do you know, three years later, my aunt, who was fully sighted, went into a department store and got the same piece of equipment uh, for her, for herself. And so it, it sort of shows, sort of makes your point that things that are designed for people, in this case, who are blind, can be really useful for people with other uh, disabilities or no disability at all. And, um, so in, in, in the building that, that's here that I have, it's, it's, it's a reasonably well-run building. Um, there are grab bars. You know, if you're going from your apartment to the elevator, there's a grab bar that you can grab onto and sort of hold onto as you go around in the elevator, which isn't just useful for folks who, who, uh, you know, who, who, uh, may have, may have a hard time keeping their balance. It might be useful for folks who, uh, for whatever reason, for a short time might, uh, have a, a balance issue. Um, you know, all these things that you're talking about strike me as, as you said, they're relatively, uh, simple fixes, but they're not just useful for the disabled person in the apartment. It might be useful for other people as well for reasons we don't, we don't even know. Um, and, um, the other issue that sort of strikes me, uh, that you ask is a really important one, which is given the fact that these, 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 um, apartment buildings, housing units, uh, buildings get funding from the federal, the state government, uh, and other governments. Um, they have, they have sort of requirements, which you could argue make sense or make, don't, don't make sense. But the question sort of becomes, where do you draw the line about some of these accommodations? So for example, uh, you were mentioning, uh, this thing that can be attached to a, a, a TV that you hit a button and you can read a book. And that might be a really useful thing for certain blind people. But we also know that there are uh, services that many blind people use, like uh, the Library of Congress, mm-hmm. where you can get a machine and use those and and uh, uh, free of charge and read pretty much w- within reason whatever book you want to read. So the, the question I sort of have I'm wrestling with as you sort of talk about what you're talking about is where, what what is the responsibility of the housing department, you know, in, in, in equipping the apartments with these various things and the responsibility of other agencies or the, or the disabled person, him or herself to, to make these accommodations, understanding that everybody's, everybody's needs are different. So let's start with that. I'm, I'm very, very glad you did that because let, that lets me clarify. I, I, the devices, things like that would be the responsibility of the individual occupant. I'm talking only about the physical infrastructure. Right. Okay. Every bathroom should have grab bars. Right. Just the set aside ones. Uh, I just had a knee replacement. I think having something to hold on to in the elevator is fantastic. Absolutely. I'm not going to need it forever, but I'll need it for a while. Sure. Uh, yeah, no. And, and, and if you don't need it, and if you don't need it, somebody else might need it. Exa- that's the thing, Bob. You're right. Yeah, that's why I'm asking people to think about, especially in public housing, making them universal rather, you know, for a doorway. To be 36 inches wide instead of the standard 32 would allow somebody with a wheelchair to use it. 
Uh, there's cabinets, like a corner cabinet. Uh, it might be a Lazy Susan. But you can also put in something where it's a regular shelf that flips out so someone in a wheelchair can reach it and put it up on the counter rather than having to try to spin it around and reach way inside. All but, of but, these- but, but your point, I think, Cynthia, forgive me for interrupting you, your point, mm-hmm. I think, as I understand it, is it's not just folks who use wheelchairs can use those accommodations. Exactly. Uh, other, people, other people can use them as well. Exactly. Uh, and I think that that's the argument that we should, we should be making to these housing authority people. Uh, it seems to to the extent that we can, we shouldn't just be saying, "Hey, I as a blind person really need this." The argument should be, "I as a blind person need this," and by the way, other people may be able to use it as well. Well, that's that, why I stress all ability. Yeah, all abilities. It doesn't do anything. It it doesn't. It's not a problem for somebody who's perfectly healthy. It has no disability at all. If it's already built in, it's just how it is. Right. My my favorite thing is to uh, put some words on, you know, standard type on a piece of white paper and have somebody read it and then put it on bolded black on yellow. Look at them both. The person who has vision issues can't really get the one on the white paper because there's not enough contrast. But people who have 20-20 vision can read the black on yellow just as, and it helps the person who doesn't have 20-20 vision. A lot of it's mostly it's small things. I used to go around, I hand out signature guides and I'd give them to bank tellers. I'd give them to insurance agents. I'd give them to anybody who's going to be reason, you know, routinely having people sign documents. But we know them as some an aid for the blind. But at the same time, it's great for people with uh, Parkinson's, with arthritis. It helps. It, it's to help you sign something. Not necessarily because you're blind, but because you may have difficulty in staying on the line. We have the grab bars not because you are physically disabled, but because it's safer for everybody. And maybe somebody who just sprained their ankle will use it for a period of time. So to try to have it there as an aid for everybody, because the people who don't need it, it doesn't impinge on them. And the people who do can use it more easily. You know, the experience to me happened uh, that made the major point really clear. Uh, we have two elevators in our building, and they don't always work perfectly. Uh, and uh, on, on December 26th, the day after Christmas, both elevators died. Now, we, there, there are 15 floors in our building. Oh, my. Okay, 15 floors in our building. So the question is, how do how do people walk down? I, l- I live on the thirteenth floor. That that's just that, that happens to be where I live. How do, if people how do people get, people get up and down stairs? Well, people using wheelchairs generally can't, right? I mean, you know, unless they get out of the wheelchair, if they can do that. Uh, but even people like me, uh, it's it, it makes things a little harder to have to count stairs. I mean, never mind the fact that if you're not in decent shape, walking up thirteen flights of stairs is not 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 a whole lot of fun sometimes. But having to count 13 flights of stairs where some flights have two flights equal a flight of stairs, one floor, and some one flight equal a floor, it's really confusing. Um, and so, you know, uh, when the elevators were fixed, you know, uh, a lot of us called uh, folks in charge and said, hey, you can't do this. You know, this, this, this is, this is irresponsible stuff. Um, even when one elevator doesn't work, it's a problem, right? Because the elevators run, you know, then, it's hard to get people in if you have to wait sometimes more 
more than five minutes for an elevator to show up. You know, um, so, ele- you know, elevators working is a big deal. And I didn't, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me until I, uh, A, was in a building where elevators didn't work and B, sort of thinking through the implications of that. You know, it's not just folks using wheelchairs. It's people who are in lousy shape who have to walk up fly flights of stairs or who can't have a heart condition, have whatever, you know, so it's those kinds of things that I think you're talking about that you really do need. I just, I just had my knee replaced. I just had my knee replaced and it's getting better, but I couldn't have walked up and down 15 stairs. So Peter, when the elevator is not working though, and I'm sure there was a good reason why it wasn't working, nothing runs perfectly. I mean, in that particular instance, what can we do? I mean, sure you got to fix it right away, but while it's broken, things do break. And uh, it's unfortunate that that has to happen. But what, what, what do you do? Well, what do the tenants well, do? Well, here, here is your, your response. Is, the question is good, Bob. So here's my response. A, a lot of people in this building think the elevators aren't sufficiently ma- well managed, well ma- maintained, right? Well, so that's more like, subject. Well, but, but it's relevant to this conversation. Absolutely. So, so, part of the, so part of the issue is they're not sufficiently well maintained, so they're more likely to break down. And if one breaks down, the other one is is going to be used more. So that's more likely to break down. And so, you know, we're, we're now there's a lot of pressure being put on the uh, the management of the place to 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 make this, these elevators better maintained, which unfortunately makes them more expensive. Right. It costs more money to get these things more maintained. But you don't want to have happened what happened. Um, you know, supposing there was a fire in the building, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's you know, now sometimes elevators can't be used in fires anyway. But but if they can, you know, uh, what would happen if the elevators weren't running? How would people get down 13 flights of stairs in a fire in a wheelchair? You know, it's kind of scary stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, to answer your question, Bob, I mean, people, I guess you can carry people in wheelchairs down. But in this building, there are lots of folks in wheelchairs. You know, that's that's what this building's designed for in part. So it was kind of a scary time for us. For It was only 12 hours, fortunately. You know, but and the other thing was, I, I hate to vent about this. There was no way for us to call to report, report it. You know, there's no phone number that we could call to say, hey, because there, there's an assumption that, that somebody will be on site who you can tell this to. Well, on Christmas, the day after Christmas, everybody was off. You know, so it's I think the number you should have called was 911. Well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what we should have done. You know, but, you know, that's, that. that's a, that's an extreme example. And if we start with that, we're going to frighten people. Absolutely. We need what we need to keep thinking of is let's 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 please promote every tiny change that won't cost a heck of a lot of money. Like instead of having a regular thermometer in every unit, have a talking thermometer. Nobody likes reading a gray on gray uh, display anyway. Right. So instead of having, I mean, Cynthia, if they do this for GPSs, I mean, a sighted driver doesn't need the GPS to talk with him, but he accepts it. So if GPSs can be manufactured that way, so couldn't uh, thermometers or anything else you're talking about? They are. They they exist they now. Are. Yep. They exist now. It's and, just and, a matter, as part of maintenance swapping in the uh, all ability appliance or uh, device or cabinet counter. Not because if you were to say, "Hey, we're here to enforce the ADA," all you housing authorities, ram ram ram, it would turn into a huge fight. But if you ask them on a gradual basis, as you upgrade, how about phasing this in? It should be part of new construction. I know down here in the Cape anyway, 
every housing group is hell-bent on new construction, whether or not this is a good or cost-effective time. If they do that, like they have a tech folks are going to do, make those new units all ability, and that is stock that you will have in perpetuity. And as you say, it's generally not that hard. You know, these, these changes are small. We're, we're not talking about, you know, a mag, you know, magnum changes. They're all pretty small. You know, the, Peter, the last time I checked, ADA compliance and law is still an elective in architecture schools. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it, it's still considered to be a specialty for architecture. I would make that a mandatory class just to expose them to it. There's so many architects that genuinely don't know. I was surprised when you told me that the other day, Cynthia, that ADA teaching is elective. It shouldn't be. The ADA is the law. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to, if you're going to take up that field, the ADA should be a part of it. It needs to be put into your subconscious almost, you know, in other words, make all ability the default rather than a special favor. Uh, which is it, how it's sometimes treated. Uh, someone has their hand raised and has had for a while. We usually, halfway through the program, okay. ask our producer to open it up to the community. We're okay. not there yet. All right. I, it's funny. <laughs> so, so, Cynthia, I'm curious about your thoughts about the following circumstance, and this, and this is uh, another problem that we have in our building. Uh, and by the way, I'm, our building that I live in is really a very nice building. I'm really fortunate to live here. I don't mean to uh, trash the building uh, because no. it, there's, there's lots of things that really work well here, and I'm really pleased to be here uh, and fortunate to be here as well. Um, so outside of our every door in the building, there are sort of a slot where people put pieces of paper in announcing things that are going on in the building, a bingo night or, a uh, you know, a special trip or – you know, a food truck coming in, you know, for, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, free food, you know, for the people who need that kind of thing. And these things are all put in the, uh, in the, in the, in the sort of a slot, in the mail slot near the door of every, every apartment in the building. There are 15 floors. So, you know, figure six buildings, six apartments per floor. That's about 90 apartments. So if somebody goes up and around the elevator and puts these things in the, in the slot, well, uh, you can imagine my problem with this, right? I can't read them. So what might be an easier way and a way that's more inclusive, if you will, or more universally designed to address this problem? Because I'm not the only person who can't read them. What might be another way to address, to arrest, to address this problem? Well, the first thing I do is if I were in the building, I would find out who would prefer to have a different type and what do you need? Mm-hmm. Do you need a recording? You could have a small cassette uh, in those units uh, that would be reusable uh, that you'll be able to hear them rather than see them. Somebody who is deaf and not blind, probably okay. But just do a survey of the residents and say, we realize that you may or may not be able to read this. And again, for everybody, all of the printed ones ought to be 14-point type bold on colored paper. Nobody, that doesn't hurt anyone. Somebody who has failing sight or a bad sight, it's helpful to them. I like black and yellow. That is the easiest contrast for the human eye to see. Do that for everyone. And then people who can't read printed matter, literally, find out, do you have a cassette player? We can leave you off a cassette and somebody can read this. 
or is there a way that uh, you could call a telephone number and we could record something that would be uh, like an answering service. Today's uh, daily blurb is uh, Santa Claus is coming tomorrow and he's going to give away free lottery tickets, but only at lunch, not at the breakfast and dinner. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing that really sort of surprised, I, I agree with everything you said. And in addition to that, it seems to me these things are are um, are printed out on a computer. Mm-hmm. Why can't they be for those who have computers? Why can't they be sent via email? That's a very that would be one solution to people who aren't able to read the print. Yeah, yeah. Well, or or have speech software who can have their you know who, who can read email using whatever speech software they use. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever whatever the solution is. I just find it really sort of astounding. Uh, you know, I've been having this, this conversation with. Uh, uh, you know, the people in charge saying, Hey, you know, this, this isn't working for me and other people too. Let's find a way. And for some reason, it's just one of those things that just can't seem to get, you know, over the, the starting line to, 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 to change. You know, it, well, they, it, it, they need to be reminded that they are temporarily abled mm-hmm. and someday they may not be. And there's a little bit of karma to this. Uh, if you don't start practices like this now, when you find out that you've got glaucoma, it may mean a great deal to you. Yeah, no, a lot of people don't think about that because they live from day to day and they're happy with the, their surroundings and their life, and uh, uh, they don't give it a thought. But you're right, Cynthia. You never know what can happen to people. So, Cynthia, I'm curious. Uh, before we we turn it over to the audience, what prompted you to get interested in, in this in this line of work? Talk about your sort of journey from where you know to, to, from here to there, as it were. Honest to goodness, I applied for a job and got it. Uh, Mrs. Wenberg, the lady who founded Sight Loss Services, she was coming up to 90 years old, and the board wanted to get a new director. And I remember I went to the interview, and there were a gentleman went in, and then I went in, and the chairman of the board, uh, Al Chase, said, so do you want this job? And I said, sure. And he said, good, nobody else applied. And that was that was how I got a very, very fast education. All of the board members were visually impaired. Some of them had been professional people. Al had been a chaplain in the Army. They had very diverse backgrounds. And the other thing that we had that fascinated me was a store. We still have the store. We buy one of everything. And instead of looking at a Maxi Aids catalog or a, you know, a, a, you know, on any one of the product catalogs, you could go in and handle it and use it. And that was the fastest way to learn, I think, about what uh, people with vision loss of all degrees actually need and use. Because you say, oh, of course, why why didn't I think of that before? It was just being able to work with people who are going blind and who are blind. And then, too, uh, coordinating the support groups. One of my favorite stories when I was out uh, leading the groups was uh, one lady who was newly blind said, this is driving me crazy. The bathtub is, the, the sink is white, the wall is white, the toothpaste is white, the brush is white. I keep squirting half a tube a month down the drain. And another lady said, this is what I do. I have a Tupperware bowl. I squeeze the entire tub into the Tupperware bowl. I brush the toothbrush on it and then I brush my teeth. And another lady said, I used to do that, but it just feels messy. So I measure the toothbrush head with my finger and I squirt that much toothpaste onto the tooth. And then I can put, just put it onto the toothbrush. And one of the men said, you ladies are very fastidious. 
I squirt toothpaste in my mouth and take it from there. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not think that there are three different ways of coping with vision loss and brushing your teeth, but having group meetings like that, the monthly support groups in all the towns, you learned very quickly what people did, what they didn't do, and why it worked and why it didn't. Very good. You're so, listening so what, to you're listening. Well, go ahead, Bob. You're listening to In Perspective, and I'm Bob Branco, and he's Peter Alchil, and our guest is Cynthia Stead of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, a housing navigator. And now is the time that we open our program to our participants. Cynthia, you said there was a hand raised. Yeah, uh, so, 406 is raised. So uh, thank you for that, Cynthia. 406, can you uh, mute yourself and, and talk to our guest? Hi, my name is Lisa. Thank you so much for having this call. How are I, like Lisa. Lisa. I like Lisa better than 406. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I couldn't get on before, so I couldn't ask to be renamed. Apologize. Uh, regarding the elevators not working, I live in Florida, and we were told that it is, a law that there has to be a generator that in case go out in case we get a hurricane, there's no electric. We're on an eight story. We're only an eight story building and there has to be generators for both elevators. And if it's not, we're fined like a lot of money every day until it is working. So I would contact the fire department. um, if, If you know the building's insurance company, but that's, that is not okay. And in a 15 story building, you, you know, you have to have backups. I can't imagine that your state doesn't have, um, laws about that. That's just, um, something that had stood out to me because we had that issue here. We had our generators were old and we thought if there's a hurricane, they might not last. So we, we spent a lot of money to change them. So I I think this is a very good point about making it accessible for everybody and not being so specialized. See, I think I'm, in this particular I'm, case, now, Lisa, you brought up a very good point. Your state has those laws, and Peter's state might not. What's wrong with making everything federal? This is the United States, and everybody in this country is an American citizen, or most of them are. They have the same needs no matter what state they're in. Why can't we federalize things? We did. It's called the ADA. But for whatever reason, the enforcement of it has always been spotty. I remember that we, we I'm down here in the Cape. It's a tourist area. We have, you know, things hand built by the pilgrims, uh, all kinds of historical things. Oh, we don't want ramps. We don't want ramps. Oh, the pilgrims didn't have ramps. And eventually some of them were public buildings were forced to put in a ramp and they were fussy about it. But now, 30 years later, the same people who were squawking are using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of the problem. I wonder here. if there were any pilgrims in wheelchairs, and if so, what did they do? Well, they were probably dragged on sledges, but I don't know. Well, I, uh, you know, I mean, back in the 17th century, when, or the 18th, whatever it is, when the pilgrims came over here, my guess is if you were in a wheelchair, you didn't go. You know, yeah, I, I, you know, and it was a different world back then. My guess is, you know, if you were in a wheelchair, unless you were a a, a, a leader of of significance, because I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an expert in pilgrim history, but I don't. My money is on dog cart. My money is on dog cart. Maybe, probably but on I don't, dog cart. But, but, but that's you not would, the point. All of these people were treating these buildings as sacrosanct because they were so old, and they were very angry about having to put in even a small accommodation like a ramp 
or a cut. And now they use them themselves without thinking. And I've often wanted to say to some of those ladies, wasn't it a good idea back then? It still is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just, I, your, 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 your question raises an interesting issue for me because, you know, you would think that if there was in the history of the pilgrims, if there was somebody with a significant disability, that'll, that'll be part of the history, you know, uh, and there, there isn't, which leads me to believe that chances are better than not that if you were significantly disabled, then you, you couldn't be a pilgrim back then. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I, that's sort of my, my sense about it. Uh, cause it's, it was a lot harder for, you know, for people there, you know, to, to make accommodations. You know, there were fewer options. Uh, well, if you're rich, you're accommodated. That worked. Well, that's also true. That's a fair point. Um, anyway, um, I, I, anyway, was it Lisa who made that comment from Florida? Yes. Yeah. So Lisa, thank you for your comment. I think you're right. And in fact, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I certainly complained and I think other people complained as well. I'm sure it's being worked on. I just, I hope it is. But of course the issue at our issue wasn't a matter of loss of power. The issue was a maintenance issue. And of course, so the, the solution is to lay down some guidelines to make sure that these elevators are sufficiently maintained. So this stuff is less likely to happen. Um, you know, uh, there's no question that this is a major problem that needs to be addressed. Um, so thank you for, for that. I appreciate it. Well, we're, we're working on it. Believe me. Thank we're you, Lisa. Here. Are there any more hands raised? Number 638. 638. 638. You're next. Ray, can, all right, if you ever get, uh, can hear us, tell, tell us. I don't know what happened to you. You disappeared. Yes. Hello. Hey, go ahead. <laughs> um, hi, Beth. Hi, you know my voice. Yes. Well, first of all, I will say I don't like strobe lights because that could send me into a um, seizure if they had them in my building. But when I did live in in um, public housing, I could never get anyone. They fought me tooth and nail about reading memos to me about inspections and things like that. I mean, they hated it. They resented it. You're, you're, you're the only blind person here. We can't, you know, and I said, all you have to do is call me and leave me a message on my machine. I was trying to make it easy for them. No, you know, we can't do that. And, and they, they really didn't want to be bothered having to do all that. And then, uh, um, there's, there's lots of other things that they really didn't want to have to do until a lot of the people in wheelchairs started complaining. Um, like those digital ovens, I didn't like those either that they put in because those are, uh, well, they're difficult for us to use. I mean, other than putting on bump docks, they're very hard to use. You're right. I, I, it's an odd it's an odd thing. I mean, and as it happens, by the way, a strobe light would send me into a seizure too. I have epilepsy. But I'm not deaf. I would have been in a regular unit. I don't know that it seems as if every solution immediately impacts somebody else. Are you talking about ovens? Uh, I have a microphone. No, no, he was talking about the, uh, the uh, fire alarm too. I know, I know, but she mentioned something about an oven. Yeah, I have yeah a the digital ovens on the digital stove. Ovens. I, I have one with a flat screen. I put bump dots on it. I love the bump dots. They help a lot. Yeah, I yeah. had to put, I had to put my own bump dots because they were not, well, Housing said we had to put these in here for you guys. And I'm like, but I can't read it. Well, 
I don't know. You have to get your own. Uh, you have to get your own accommodations to read it. We we just have to put it in for you. Hey. Yeah. This. Yeah. That yeah. was their attitude. You know. Also, that's why it is really important to have bump dots on everything automatically, rather than making you beg and try to be polite. You shouldn't have to do that. But if every function, every doorway, every grab bar, if they're all there automatically anyway, they don't impact people who don't have a disability. So build everything for every ability or as or upgrade to every, you know, uh, when the habitat does the build, it's going to be four small single family houses and they're each going to have two quick steps up to the door. And now in the back, they'll put a short ramp instead. And I'm thinking to myself, anybody trying to get the groceries in, in a cart isn't going to be unhappy because they have a ramp instead of having to drag it up two little brick steps. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of but, things that are technically for the disabled, air quote. They are really. Everybody uses them because they make various functions easier to do. It, and the ones that they don't mm-hmm. need, you forget about them. And the ones. Yeah, and Cynthia, Beth makes a really good point though. And, and this is, this is the challenge by making things universal is that, you know, one person's solution is one person's problem. Yep. And, you know, so I don't know how you balance all this stuff out. You know, the, if you, if strobe lights don't work for many people for whatever reason. And so the question is, what do you, you know, uh, how, you know, what do you do instead? You know, or, or how can you work around that problem or whatever? Well, know, if it was, if it was a person of normal disability, normal abilities, I would put it in. If there was an epileptic like me or Peter, I would say, please cover that for me. It's easy to cover or just take the bulb out. If you, if there's a reason why it would bother you. But it would still have the capacity to serve a deaf person if they moved into the unit afterwards. It's a right. matter of, it's a matter of changing the infrastructure and not obsessing about this might hurt somebody else too. Well, if it does, how would it? And is there a way to simply again retrofit back but build in the capacity? Yeah, it's much easier to remove a bulb than to put in a, a strobe light, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Thank you, Beth. And you know, I think uh, it's really frustrating sometimes. Uh, Yeah, I've been fighting this stupid, you know, uh, things in print in my things for the past year since I've been here, and there's no reason for it. There really is no reason for it. You know, um, uh, it's it's just silly. It it just is. There's so many ways of working around it that would make everybody's lives a lot happier. But you know, once something's in installed, it's hard to hard to change. It's hard to change. Um, what is a housing navigator? What do, what do you actually do as a housing navigator? Well, I take, I have an incredibly invasive and detailed, uh, uh, intake. And a lot of it is silly. Like I'll be talking to a gentleman from the shelter and I'll say, do you have any trust income? What? Or <laughs> another person will say, I'll have to ask him. I say, what is your gender? And you know, they might scowl at you and I say, we are up to seven choices. So don't answer quickly. But every question on my intake, some housing authority or program somewhere is asking. They do it with me once. I have a program called Housing Works that accesses market rate, subsidized, affordable, and lottery. All those different kinds of housing. 
And you, I put it in the machine once and I can spit out completed applications so you don't have to write your social security number 500 times. I can help people to learn how to monitor their wait list. I can help them learn how to respond to stay in a list. But I also try to update them too. Like I had one lady, uh, she was three siblings on the house. It was a very old, very lovely house. The two of them wanted to cash in on the hot real estate market, but she had nowhere to go. They gave her till October to get out. And she called me a little bit after Labor Day. I went in. I did the intake with her. See, the conventional housing agencies couldn't help her because she was a partial home owner. Mm-hmm. Therefore, she didn't qualify for help because that's for people who are looking for housing but don't own anything. And technically, she did because the United Way, I could go in there and work with her. And I said, I tell you what. I know there's a lottery coming up in Brewster. I have your information. I will electronically enter you into it. And I'll give you a call in a week or so. And I'll give you some other suggestions. And she called me back four days later. And she said, I won. I said, what? She said, I was the number one in the Brewster Woods. I will now have a unit. As soon as it's ready, my mom, my brother and sister are going to let me stay here till I do. Now, she wouldn't have seen it. Anywhere, really, because it was in the kind of the house, affordable housing mafia. We all had access to it. We were all recommending our clients. Then, too, this is happening a lot lately. People, older lady, house she'd been living in, it was sold. It's not going to be a rental anymore. She has till X date to get out. And I'd say to people, well, tell me something. Do you have any place else? I'll put you in all the Cape waiting lists. That's fine. But is there any place you can go? And she said, well, I've got a cousin in Shrewsbury. And I said, I happen to read that the Auburn Mall is putting a second story on the building itself, and that's going to be affordable housing. And she said, well, yeah, but i got to get to my doctor's. And I said, I'll tell you what, you can take the number 20 bus up Millbury Street, and you're at UMass Medical. That's probably as good as the doctor you have if you were to get a unit there. Another gentleman, uh, he had been a street person here in Hyannis for years, and I had found him a unit, but he was getting sicker, and the visiting nurses called me because they couldn't really treat him in his unit anymore. And I said, where do you have family? And he said, well, my mom lives in a development in Springfield, but she can't take me in. And I said, no, but I get him on the list for the Ludlow Housing Authority. And I got him a unit there, close enough to see mom, but not having to be moving in with her. And I could tell both of these stories because the people have died. Uh but that's the kind of thing that I do. And I do keep a special lookout, I admit, for anybody with any kind of physical disability because emotional disability is important, but you don't have to retrofit. You don't have to make those kinds of changes. The people with physical disabilities, on the other hand, do need special help. So that makes it more important for them to have the first floor unit or the accessible unit. But that's my job. I can look here on Cape. I can look off Cape. Uh, I enter people in lotteries. You know, where would you like to go? We can try to find your place. Cynthia, what, what is the uh, average waiting list right now, Cynthia? In Orleans, it's 10 years, but in Chatham, it's only seven. Seven years? Yes. I'm hearing that our new governor is trying to change all that to make it quicker to get in. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. It, and I'm going to, this is a pet peeve of mine, activists and advocates will have people apply all over the place. We had three empty units in the Dennis Housing Authority this past winter because people's names would come up 
and we would invite them to come and they just wouldn't respond. When that happens, you have to send them a certified letter three times and let them know that their name has come to the top of the list. Nancy, our director, finally lured somebody down and they said, yeah, this is nice, but I don't want to live here. And she said to them, why did you apply? Well, the advocates told me to apply everywhere. Well, you know what? You got your unit, but you didn't, to let us know, take you off the list. That's that's the problem. Some of the housing authorities are leaving the CHAMP system for exactly that reason. Mm-hmm. They have 20 housing authorities in there. They go, check, check the box on everybody. And finally, they get their unit, and they don't bother canceling themselves on the other units. So those have to be... It's an enormous administrative task. I really admire our executive director there because it's a thankless, terrible task. People just sit there and don't pause to think that not taking the time or only applying to where you'll actually accept a unit. That's what kills me. They applied to the Dennis Housing Authority, but they didn't want to live in Dennis. Why would you do that? Well, I, 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 this sort of, I, and of course you're right. I mean, that, that's, that's irresponsible behavior. On the other hand, uh, I, I, at least it, where, where I'm here in Missouri, there's just an undersupply of low income housing. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that's the other, that's the other issue too. And then there are communities who just refuse to a, a, a permit on low income housing to be built in their communities because they don't want us people to live there. You know, uh, um, and you know, I think that that's a that's an issue that needs to be addressed at some point if we're really serious about addressing this homeless issue that that we have in this country. It seems to me. Well, this is why I'm opening my big mouth now about if you're going to build a gazillion units of housing, how about making them all accessible? Mm-hmm. I agree. Down here too, uh, there's a golf course in Hyannis that's going uh, out of, out of business. They're going to put in affordable housing. And I am making their lives miserable, insisting that they be all ability units. Why wouldn't you if you're going to be building new stock? And that's why I'd like to suggest to all of you, please, please, please talk to your local housing agencies and say, if you intend to construct, we could get you the information. Please consider building all ability units rather than balkanizing the disabled continually 33 years later. And it seems to me your your approach is really smart, Cynthia, which is to say, hey, this is relatively easy stuff. We're not asking you to spend thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're, they're, they're small things. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask uh, both Lisa and Beth if, 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 if something else you want to say, by all means, say it. And let's start with Lisa. Lisa, is there something else you want to say? Okay. Uh, Beth, is there something else oh, you want to say? Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that when that happens. Sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse yeah, it's okay. Um, I have, um, I am going to beg her if she would be considering to do private work for people in other states of Massachusetts because I desperately need assistance in this area and I wish there was people in other states that would, uh, do what you do and have the consciousness, consciousness to do what you do and the enlightenment of looking at the bigger picture. I can't tell you what a breath of fresh air yeah, you are. If exactly. So cold, I'd be up there. She's so setting cold. the example for everybody <laughs> yeah, in the thank U.S. You. Thank you. I hope you get to go to Congress or 
Yeah. Put it out to the senators and really seriously, like no, I'm, I'm laughing. I, I work seven years in the Massachusetts State House. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> but you have experience. That's the main thing. Even well, though you're yeah, done. Yeah, but you know, Bob, this is about evangelizing more than anything else, isn't it? I mean, in New Mexico, if you want, Bob has my contact information. Anybody who might be interested, you have them call me. I mean, have to. Do, I would not know how to. I would not at all know how to do it in New Mexico. In Chester County, Pennsylvania, as I said at the start, this kind of building is part of their regular building code. I was really impressed when I found that out. Why can't the building codes be changed in that way to at least have, I believe one of the requirements is one exit must have a ramp. And as you're building, as you're constructing, when you pull your permit, you know that that requirement is there. So you plan for it when you do your bidding and when you do your, uh, when you're gathering your materials rather than trying, you know, being, uh, halfway through saying, oops, this is another, this is another requirement, haha. It's a good idea to talk to building commissioners, people like that in towns. But yeah, I admit I am biased towards starting with the public housing and housing authorities and affordable housing that's been constructed by those entities because wake up is 33 years later. Do your job. If yeah. anybody wants to write to me, I can forward the information to Cynthia if she chooses to have it done that way. Uh, my email address is bobbranco93 at gmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-O 93 at com. And maybe somebody in your state will carry the ball the way Cynthia has here in Massachusetts. That would be nice. We have about one more minute to go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. So, 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 email address, please, slower, a little slower. Bob Branco 93. That's B O B B R A N C O 93 at Gmail. Dot com. If you have any questions or requests or want to know some more information, I will forward your information to Cynthia directly. And we have about 30 seconds in the program. So, Cynthia, any final thoughts before we close? I just want to thank you, Bob. I, th- I want to thank you for inviting me. I mean, you and I, we talk to each other all the time. But it, it is really great to be able to run your ideas by intelligent people and see how they react. And I've picked up a couple of things to think about here myself. Well, we were very glad to have you today, Cynthia, our original guest that we were supposed to have on today. And I can mention it because it was posted originally and people may want to know what happened. Our guest for today underwent a medical procedure and couldn't be with us. But we were very glad that Cynthia was able to come on with short notice and be here today with us. Cynthia continued success as a housing navigator. Hopefully, uh, one size will fit all someday, for lack of a better term. That is exactly what I hope for. I hope so, too, and I'm sure everybody else does. Thank you for taking the time to be with us on In Perspective. And I want to thank our participants as well, and also Ray and Peter. Next week, we're going to talk about fire safety. That's another important thing that people should do in housing and any place else is to learn more about fire safety. And so we're going to have a fireman on, Tom Adaris. He'll be talking about that. 
Thank you, everyone. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. And have a nice week, everybody. Thank you.